0: If you join me this morning in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, we're going to be reading verses 11 through 27. 11 through 27. Just to give us uh, where we are in the historical context, Jesus is. Uh, In Jericho, and he's um, done amazing, uh, he did did an amazing miracle there of healing Bartimaeus, uh, which everybody was very happy about, and then he healed uh, awful, wicked, vile Zacchaeus, which uh, almost no one was happy about. But there are crowds gathering around. There's, a, there's growing enthusiasm. Passover is, is just a few days away. Jesus is on his way to Passover. Uh, and so there will be many, many uh, people coming into town at that time, and they're, they're sort of coalescing around Jesus. There's this growing enthusiasm and excitement that this very well might be the time that God is going to restore the kingdom to Israel. That Roman rule is going to be abolished, and God's going to reestablish an uh, Israeli king, and uh, Israel's going to be what the prophets said it should be, this, this magnificent conquering uh, power in the world as God finally showed his favor to the people, his people, and they ruled, and so that's, that's in the air, and now we come to our parable uh, this morning. If you know just ahead, the triumphal entry begins at verse 28. So that's where we are in the, uh, in the story as Christ makes his way to the cross. Jesus has just said, verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house, since he, that is Zacchaeus, the sinner, is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because... He was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minus, and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities." And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, and you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit, and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow? Why then did you not put my money in the bank, and at, my command, and at my command I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given." But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. Oh Lord Jesus Christ, these are words from your mouth. They're exactly the words that the people then needed to hear, and they're exactly the words that your people today need to hear. But Lord, we need you to give us the grace so that we would truly hear it, that we would have ears to hear. We have busy lives and distracted minds and restless spirits. And so, Lord, we we need you to give us the grace to receive your word today and find you in love, calling us to everlasting life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We have here the parable of the Minas, the 10 Minas. I think it's one of the most compelling of Jesus' stories. I was, uh, I was thinking that I could easily preach an hour and a half on this parable. There's so much here, and so brace yourself. <clears throat> no, I won't go an hour and a half. I easily could, and every uh, it, 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 this is packed. Every word you turn over, almost, and and there's a, just a wealth of truth there. It's um, we all have maybe our our favorite parables: a Good Samaritan, Prodigal Son. Um, but th- this this parable I think is compelling because of its scope and its relevance. Uh, every one of you is included in this story. You're you're in this parable there, because there's three categories of people described here. There's uh, the faithful servant. Then there's the false servant. And then there are the foes of Christ, those who say, we do not want this man to rule over us. And every one of you is in, uh, in one of those categories. There, there, there aren't other categories. There, there are those who are striving to do what the master says because you love the master. Uh, there are those who fail to do what the master says because you think he's a, he's a hard task master and, and you're indifferent to his cause. And then there are those who, whatever you maybe outwardly think or say, uh, the truth is that you, 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 you hate God's imposition uh, on your life and you reject His rule. So every one of us is, is included. That means that no matter what you, uh, where you are regarding your relationship to Christ, maybe you don't believe in Him at all. Uh, that doesn't exclude you from the story. Your unbelief doesn't uh, do anything to diminish the reign of Jesus Christ over your life. So Jesus is talking to you this morning, and he's talking about you this morning. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Uh, this, is a, this would be a, a, a parable that would have resonated um, really um, emotionally, deeply with his audience because uh, they would recognize in Jesus' story um, the, the back story. There's a, there's a powerful historical backstory that the people would know because they lived it. Many of them had lived it. You see, th- when Jesus is talking here about a, a ruler who goes off to, to receive his, his crown and then comes back and, and some say, we we hate this man, we don't want him to rule over us. Um, he, he's talking about something that happened right there. Uh, Herod the Great, well, he was called Herod the Great uh, by his own self um, definition, but that was his title. Uh, he, he ruled about 40 years over the region. And uh, w- before he died, he died in uh, 4 BC before Christ. When he died, he um, di- uh, arranged so that his three sons would have the kingdom, his kingdom, divided between them. Uh, Archelaus was given the area of Judea. So Archelaus in 4 BC becomes ruler, and um, one of the first things he did as the new ruler of Judea is, uh, during the Passover of 4 BC, Archelaus, there had been some minor disturbance in the city of Jerusalem, and uh, he sent his soldiers in, and they slaughtered 3,000 Jews in cold blood. Um, Thereby, Archelaus thinking that he would assert his authority, he would would put the the fear of Archelaus in the people and bring them under his reign. Well, uh, even though he was the ruler uh, in those days, of course, Caesar is the ruler over all the West. And and so you have to go and and be officially acknowledged and uh, crowned by Caesar. So Archelaus has to go to Rome, which he does. Uh, When he gets there, he finds that a delegation of 50 Jewish men were also there, also seeking um, the uh, audience with Caesar, and those men were there to point out the awful things that Archelaus had already done, and to say, we hate this man, we do not want him reigning over us. Well, uh, Caesar decided sort of uh, for a, a middle road, he didn't make Archelaus king, but he made him a, an, uh, a ruler and a, sort of a time of probation. And history shows that um, uh, Archelaus, um, he blew his probation. Ten years later, he was exiled, never became king. But this is the, this is the same guy who slaughters the, uh, the children of Bethlehem because he's frightened by the news of a king. So he's a vicious, vicious man. Well, he he ends up being ruler. He comes back, uh, builds his palace in Jericho. So the palace is right there in the town. And uh, he quickly executed vengeance on those who had tried to um, deny him as their king. So everybody knows the contours of this story. This resonates deeply with them. and, And Jesus uses that historical event to... To teach in a critically important, and not just one lesson, but, but several. But we'll begin by looking at the occasion, the purpose, because Luke tells us why Jesus is, is telling this parable in verse 11 and 12. Uh, As they heard these things, all the wonderful things that, that Jesus was doing, and, and there's, there's murmuring and conversation going uh, on about, uh, this is the one, he proceeded to tell them a parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem... And, secondly, because they supposed the kingdom of God was uh, to appear immediately. And he said, therefore, and he tells the parable. Jerusalem is just 17 miles away. They're, they're, they're uh, getting close, and the crowds are getting increasingly excited. Uh, are you going to uh, restore the kingdom? This is, remember, what the disciples were constantly uh, thinking about. Surely, this miraculous ministry of Jesus has to end someplace good. There's got to be a throne at the end of this, if people have any sense of of who Christ is. And it seems like that's happening. People are eager to make him king, and and it's clear that he's the Messiah. Peter had said it, you are the Christ, son of the living God, and Jesus didn't deny it. He said, blessed are you, Simon, son of of Bar-Jonah. Blessed are you, this was revealed to you by my Father in heaven. And So the disciples are just connecting the dots, and the crowd is uh, doing the, the very same thing. They're absolutely convinced, many of them, that Jesus is actually on his way to Jerusalem to claim his throne, to claim his crown, to receive his kingship. Which is why, of course, they absolutely could not hear Jesus when he said to them in chapter 18... Verses 31 and following, Uh, taking the 12, he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and everything that's written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished for he will be delivered over to the Gentiles and will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon and after flogging him, they will kill him and on the third day he will rise, but they understood none of these things, not a word. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. Their their assumptions about what this all meant and where this was going uh, simply would not allow them to hear the truth of what Jesus was uh, was doing. But... um, Jesus, of course, you see, knows exactly where he is. He knows that he's going to Jerusalem to die, and then he's going to rise from the grave, and then he's going to ascend into heaven. He's going to go to the far country, and there he will receive his crown. There he will receive his kingship. And from there he will rule, and and then he will come back. I think it's incredibly loving for Christ to tell this parable to his disciples. At the moment, they don't understand any of it. But after his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, this becomes crystal clear and it, it locates them. They know where they are sort of in the world and in God's redemptive purposes. Their, their king has not abandoned them. He's, he's gone to receive his crown, and he's coming back. And in the meantime, they have a job to do. They've got a mina to invest. And there are great rewards promised to those who do it faithfully. This is, this is wonderful good news. You see, the Lord, our, our, our Lord doesn't leave us in the dark. He, he wants us to know today where we live. He wants us to know why we're here. He wants us to know why He's there. He wants us to know that He's coming back, and while He's in heaven reigning, we are to be here serving. There's a task to perform, a command to obey, a minor to be used for the King's glory. And He promises great rewards to those who do that. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful, loving thing for Jesus to tell you today because, you see, we get confused. The, the circumstances of our life, um, what we think and what we feel, what we, ex- what we experience, what we fear, that, that becomes a fog for us spiritually, and, and we don't know where are we going and, and why are we here and, and what's the purpose, what's the point. The, the, Jesus blows so much of that fog away by giving us this parable. Because because here he places us, situates us in redemptive history. And here we have our our, our identity and our calling. So Jesus tells the parable and there's a commission. Calling ten of his servants. He gives them ten minas and says to them, engage in business until I come. So there's a gift and a calling. The gift is the mina. They each receive the same gift, the same amount. This is not the parable of the talents that Matthew talks about, just told slightly differently. That's a that's a parable about the gifts that God has given to you and the opportunities that you have, each different in different amounts, and you're to use those for the the, the glory of God. This isn't a, this isn't that story. Everybody receives the same gift, the same amount, and and all of it is undeserved. the The mina was a a, a, a money a, a, a a coin that would be equivalent of three months' wages. So it's, it's not a, it's not winning the lottery, but it's a nice, it's a nice amount, three months' wages. What is it? What's the mina? What is Jesus talking about? What, what, what does he mean by the mina? Well, the, um, scholars, uh, theologians, kick it about. I think, I think the very best interpretation is that this is the gospel itself. And I say that for several reasons, I think because it holds that the gospel is the gift that Jesus gives his servants, and everybody gets the same gospel, and everyone has the same calling. We receive that gospel gift given to Christ's servants, not just to the citizens, but to the servants And we have the commission given to the the apostles and to the church then that we're to go into all the world and going, being in the world, we're to engage the world with gospel, investing the gospel in this world so that it can bear fruit, it can bring returns for the glory of the King. And so that's the commission, engage in this gospel business until I come. They're, they're to use the mina, it, it's, it's, uh, it's meant to be invested, we're, we're to be engaging uh, the world with it so that it can bear fruit to the glory of God. And they're to do that until he comes back. So this is what we do until Jesus returns. And there again, you see, this, this places us, this means that you live and I live between these two magnificent events, the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ and the return of Christ. This is, right here is where we live. And it is those realities and those events that are the most significant events for defining you and for defining what life is really for. I think people sort of assume that the the most important, significant events in your life are the day of your birth and the day of your death. Well, those are clearly important, but they just mark the number of your days. They don't say anything about the significance of them. They don't tell you what you're supposed to do with them and how you'll be evaluated, uh, what makes your life truly meaningful and significant. It just means you've got a certain amount of days to do something, but what's the something? You see, this tells us what the something is, why your life actually matters, and what you should be pursuing, because there's going to be an accounting. Jesus says, verse 15, when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. So they There's going to be a day of accounting. Paul talks of it in 2 Corinthians 5.10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, in the flesh, whether good or evil. So there's there's an accounting day. And this means, you see, that if you are a servant of King Jesus... This is how you should gauge the value, the significance of your life. If, when, when you stand before Jesus on the last day, he will not ask you, how much fun did you have? Uh, what trips did you take? What did you accomplish in your career? How fulfilled were you in your relationships? All of the things that the world uses, you see, to gauge a meaningful life. Jesus won't ask you about any of that. What he's going to ask you is this. What did you do with the mina? What, what did you do with the mina? That's the question. What business did you do with the gift? And, and what was gained by, uh, for the king through the mina? That's what he will ask, and so we find here this accounting comes, and and uh, he calls the the servants to come, so that um, he might know what had been gained. That's that's what he's asking. So the the first two men come, and one says, "Lord, your mina uh, produced ten minas more," and the other says, "Lord, your mina produced five minas more." And again, there's some there's such wonderful truth here. First, I, I just want you to notice the power of the gospel. Notice how these two guys, both, they do not attribute the returns to their ingenious investing. They don't say, Lord, we just need to let you know about this clever scheme I came up with, and, uh, and uh, I, I did this, and I did this, and then I did that, and 10 minas. They both say, your mina has produced, has accomplished. All the credit goes to the mina not the investors and that's exactly you see the testimony of every christian who has the joy of seeing the gospel at work in your life and in the lives of other people if your neighbor comes to faith uh, through your testimony of the gospel you don't say well i hate to brag i just i think i did a really good job of explaining it and um, I used some pretty convincing arguments, and um, voila, they became Christian uh, because of my cleverness. See, see, all the power is in the gospel. Paul says Romans chapter one sixteen. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God. Unto salvation for all who believe. When Martin Luther stood back a few years after the Reformation was taking place, he said, uh, the word did all the work. Philip and I, we just, we just preached and we did some writing, and then we went and sat and had beer, and uh, the word did all the work. That's what every Christian says. That's a, that's a wonderful encouragement. You see, that means, friends, that the fruit of your life and my life is not up to how clever you were, not how gifted you were, how smart you were, how good you were with words. The gospel has all the power, and the gospel will do all the work we just need to apply it, first in our life, and then in our home, and then in our community and where we work, the fruit will come if we just use the mina. Use the mina. Put that on your refrigerator door. Use the mina. When you're disciplining your kids, when you're dealing with a conflict in the home, when you're thinking about um, how to deal with something at work, when you're considering your community, use the mina. It has magnificent power unto salvation. And so on the last day you say people will when you when you stand before Jesus uh, you'll, you'll, you will say Lord I didn't really I didn't really do anything because <laughs> it's true you gave me the grace to believe the gospel and by the power of that gospel, I found that my heart was softened and my priorities were changed by the power of the gospel. You you, you transformed my life. And, and then, Lord... By the power of the gospel, you, you brought healing and wholeness and, and true love to, to my marriage. And by the power of the gospel, you made me a different kind of person caring for, for the poor and, and for those in need. And, and by the power of the gospel, my children came to faith. And, and then a, a neighbor or a, a co-worker asked me about Jesus. And I just told I, I didn't do anything. The mina did all the work. That's That's our testimony. That's a wonderful God-honoring testimony. And notice then, secondly, the the incredible nature of the rewards. So this story is so enlightening about what the character of God. So the rewards, I hope you you saw this, are completely out of whack with whatever uh, work was accomplished. It's just, there's no appropriate relationship between the rewards. Here's the deal. Jesus gave the mina a gift, free gift, to these men. They both confess that whatever fruit there was came because of the mina. And yet, they are given cities to reign. So they take three months' wages, equivalent, and and it does all the work and they just bring it back to Jesus. This is what your mind did. And he says, great, 10 cities. You will reign over 10 cities. Rulers, princes, honor, position, authority, power. Do you realize that's what Jesus means for you in a new heaven and a new earth? Do you have any sense that the, the rewards and blessings of heaven will be completely out of line with with anything that you did. You see, the rewards are all grace, and God's grace is always lavish. It's extravagant, over the top, beyond all reckoning, superabounding. Nobody in heaven is going to feel slighted. They're not even going to feel duly rewarded. You see, if, if someone comes to you in heaven and says, wow, you got five cities? You're not going to say, well, yeah, but I I worked pretty hard. You're going to say, I know. Can you, me, the great sinner, isn't this just like God? He gave me five cities. That's what you'll say. That's why Paul says, eye hasn't seen, ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them that love him. It has not entered your mind the abundance of grace that God has for you in a new heaven and a new earth. You will walk through eternity stunned by the grace of God. It should make us hungry for fruit. But how do you get fruit? Well, notice what Jesus says. The key to fruit is faithfulness. Because you've been faithful in a very little. The key to fruit is faithfulness. The results of our investing uh, are all in God's hands, right? We, we just invest the mina and the mina does the work. But what we need to pay attention to is the faithfulness. And again, this is an encouraging word. I think it's so easy for Christians to feel like you're just not really doing any great thing for God. You're, you're busy raising your kids. You're holding down a job to provide for your family. You're trying to figure out what you want to do with your life. Um, your days seem filled with little things, mundane things, doing the gro- getting the groceries and doing the laundry and fixing the car and, and taking care of just more mundane little things at work. And you want to do great things things. You sense you were made for great things. Hudson Taylor, great missionary, said a little thing is just a little thing, but faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. Faithfulness in a little thing is a great thing. It's what Jesus is looking for. Again, on the last day, Jesus will not say, well done, my good and busy servant. My good and clever servant. My good and gifted servant. What he'll say is, well done, my good and faithful, faithful servant. Jesus is calling you and me just to be faithful. We don't have to change the world. It's not, we don't have the power to change the world. I don't care if we all get on the same page. We can't even change our own heart, but God can. So be faithful and let the mina do its work. Be faithful in your calling. Bring the gospel to where you live, into your home, into your work. Be faithful in your calling, but but be faithful with the mina. Because the mina has all the power. And as you abide in it, as you are rooted in it, as you're established in it, and, and all the love and grace of God that is yours in the gospel, if, if you're faithful to hold to that, to live there, the fruit cannot help but come. Be faithful. That's where the fruit comes. Well, then there's the other servant. Another came, the word it's used here, there's two Greek words you could use for, serve, uh, for other, one is "alos." other, um, this is heteros, maybe you hear "heter," heresy, heterodoxy, uh, it means of a different kind, so, so when Jesus was uh, going to the cross, the, the, the Greek says, and then two others, heter- heteros, who were criminals, different category also were put to death. So this is a different kind of servant. He's a servant, but different, something's different. Different operating principles, and, and you quickly see it. The first two clearly loved the Lord, delighted in the mina, eagerly served him, and were happy to bring back the fruit. This servant thought his master was hard. Notice the first two didn't say anything about that. But this man seems convinced. You're austere. You're, you're a hard man. You, you reap what you didn't sow. So, um, clearly this, this servant felt like it was a hard thing to serve this hard master. And, and what I think what Jesus wants us to see that this is the life of a legalist. One of the hardest things in the world is to be a legal Christian. Because you're just working and working and working trying to do all the things that you find in scripture. Bible says be holy and so you're trying, but it's hard and there's no joy in it because you see your heart your heart doesn't love holiness, your heart doesn't love Jesus, your heart doesn't love what he's come to do. You see, this is the elder son in the story of the prodigal son if you remember. Remember what he says to his father when he sees the grace given to the young boy, young son, he says all my life I have been slaving for you and you never once gave me a goat that I might go celebrate with my friends which is what I really want to do it's just all hard work for him he's bitter about it there are a lot of bitter church people people who feel like their Christian life is a life of austerity, not riches. It's, it's a life of going without, missing out, not being able to do the things that in your heart you really wish you could do and not having the things you really wish you could have. And so, and so people who are willing to do the minimum because they put some value on the, 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 the title Christian and, and being a church person, but their life of living for the Lord is drudgery, it's, it's begrudging, it is not joy. And, and truth be told, they are thoroughly indifferent to the king's cause, the king's concerns. And that's exactly what's going on here. The Lord calls this man on his charge. And his rebuke just lays him open, exposes him as a fraud. Because he says, if you were so afraid of me but still interested in my concerns, you would have at least taken the money and given it to the bankers, and when I came back, I'd get a little interest on it. Why didn't you do that? Jesus asked really hard questions so that every mouth may be stopped. By your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. Have you ever shivered to think what, what the Lord could, could say right back to you from your mouth? And so this man is exposed, he doesn't care about the Lord's concerns at all. And so in flagrant rebellion against what the Lord clearly told him to do, take the mina, engage it in business, he did none of that. He hid it away, and then he had the audacity to blame Jesus for his disobedience. And so the mina, he did nothing with it, and it did nothing for him. He's a fruitless tree ready to be cut down. And so his reward is condemnation and loss. I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. His words reveal he doesn't love the master. That's the problem. He has no desire to serve the master, none at all. And so he loses everything. Take the mina away from him. Take the mina away. Take the gospel away. This man is apparently a disciple. At least other people would think so. He, He thought so. But on the last day, it will be revealed that many who thought they were followers of Jesus Christ did not know him, did not love him, and Jesus did not know them. John MacArthur says, here we meet the people who confess Christ. They connect to the church. They're surrounded by the privilege and the truth of the gospel. But in the end, they have no relationship with the Lord, no love for him, no desire to honor him. And they're lost. He's judged to be a wicked Servant, and what he has is taken away and given to someone else, and that raises a problem. We have a spiritual principle here. They said to him, "Lord, he has ten minus." People get freaked out when God gets gracious, when He just does what He wants to do with His gifts. People, wait a minute, wait a minute. What equality here? This guy has five. He has ten. Why are you giving this? Shouldn't it go to the guy who has five? And Jesus would say, don't I have the right to do with, uh, with my clay what I want to do with it? Who are you, old man? And see, this makes perfect business sense. If, if you're running a business and, and one guy is just knocking out uh, the numbers, right, in his, his territory, he's just selling, 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 and you got another guy in another territory not doing anything, you're going to say, tell you what, Mr. Ten a minor guy, I'd like you to take over that territory. It just it just makes perfect sense, but but see, people people get, get they get worried. This this seems uh, this doesn't seem fair. Well, you see, the Lord is looking for for fruit. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for workers who go out with joy who are led forth in peace and bear fruit for the glory of God. And, and those who do are going to find increased opportunities, increased areas of influence to do what they love to do. I think of a, a lady like Cory Ten Boom. If you've never read her story, I just encourage you to do that. Here's a, a, a common Dutch woman who found in incredibly... Uh, Hard circumstances that her joy in the Lord, her confidence in Christ, her love for Christ provided amazing opportunities to sow the seed of the gospel. But see, that spiritual principle is, just holds true. I challenge you to find someone who delights in Jesus, someone who loves the Lord and loves the gospel and what God's about. You find That person, and then come back and tell me that the Lord has not given them any gospel influence. See, those people, God will give spheres of influence. Maybe it's just in the home. Maybe it's in the the home, in the church body, or in the community at work strangers who come up to them. Have you ever had people who they say, I had the craziest thing happen. I was at the grocery store and this man comes out of the blue and just starts talking to me and I got to share. And you think, how come that guy always gets those things? Well, maybe it's because the Lord knew that he would actually share the gospel. Maybe that's why, right? You got 32B and and this utter stranger got 32A because, because the Lord knew you'd be faithful. To share the gospel. See, again, I'm not saying this to shame us. I'm saying this to say, man, I want to be, I want to be that guy. I want to love Jesus that way so that, that I'm I'm happy to use the mina and to see God glorified in it. And as a church, we want to have the same mentality. There are too many churches, I'm afraid, who have just suddenly decided we're gonna protect the minor. And let's wrap this baby in a handkerchief and, and and put it in a safe place so that it doesn't get polluted. Well we need to love orthodoxy. Scripture hates heresy. Heresy is of the devil. But see, orthodoxy, it has to be to an end. It has to be to mission. We want orthodoxy because we want a sharp sword to do the work of the gospel. We want to be clear about who Jesus is and what sin means. And We want to be clear about all the truth of the gospel so that we can let the gospel do its work. And, and when you start blunting that sword with heresy, you lose the fruit. But orthodoxy can never be its own end. It's got to be for mission. Let me wrap up. Verse 27 is a shocking verse for sensitive people today. Jesus says, for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. This is out of the mouth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Those who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Those who said, we will not have this man rule over us, which is exactly what the Jews were going to say in about a week. We have no king but Caesar. We will not let his blood be on us and on our children. It's awful, but that's the spiritual reality. You're either for Christ or you are are rejecting and rebelling against him. And this is the end. Paul speaks of it in 2 Thessalonians 1 that when the Lord is revealed from heaven he's going to come with his mighty angels in flaming fire inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the third servant. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. Friends, that's what's going to happen when the the Lord returns. When the king comes back that, that will happen. And so, how do we apply this? Two questions to wrap up. First, where's the good news? Where's the good news in this parable? Well, the good news is Jesus. Because you see, that the whole, the whole story just points his beauty. Archelaus is what is on everyone's mind. He was the son of a nobleman, the son of a king. And his citizens hated him because on on his way, as he was reaching for the throne, he went to Jerusalem on Passover and slaughtered 3,000 innocent men. But this Jesus is the son of a far greater king, and he also went to Jerusalem on his way to his crown. And there he gave his life though he was utterly without sin bearing the wrath of God for wicked men. You see Archelaus sought to display his power by killing but God showed his love in Christ by dying. But God shows his love for us that while we were yet sinners Jesus Christ died for us. And so here you have the kings of earth and, and here you have the king the son of God. And the, and the question comes to you is he not beautiful? Is he not Is he not worth your love? Is he not worth your obedience? Is he not worth your entire life? Is there there anything that you would prefer over knowing this Jesus, following this Jesus, loving this Jesus, anything at all? And whatever it is, God can give you the grace to, to, to die to that too. The gospel is in Jesus. And if you don't know this Jesus today, he is coming back. I don't know how to be more clear about that, friend. He's coming back. Don't be the person who is rejecting him today and don't be the person who's done absolutely nothing with the mina. What are you doing with the gospel? What are you doing with the gospel? In the life that you've been given in this span of time right here, what are you doing with the gospel? And the first thing you need to do is you need to believe it. You need to receive it, that God in this day of grace is willing to be gracious to you and, and, and that this Jesus is the power of God to your salvation. It's not just a religious story. It's not just something your parents believe. It's the truth that can rescue you forever. And then the question to ask is, is that gospel, if I, as I believe it, is it bearing fruit in my life? Is, is the power of God being evidence? And it's hard to see, but be patient and, and rest in the gospel. But, but the gospel will bear fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and, and conviction of your own sin and humility and joy in Jesus Christ. It'll change your priorities Believe the gospel. All the power is in the gospel. All of it. And then delight yourself in the riches promised you in Jesus Christ. Delight in the the fact that God has things waiting for you that you absolutely cannot imagine and that all he calls you to do today is believe in him and be faithful. That's it. He'll give the doors for whatever opportunity, whatever ministry he has for you. But what you have right in front of you today, that's God's calling on you today. You be faithful in that little thing today and let the Lord take care of the rest. But live in that place today in the gospel. In the light of the grace and the love of God for you. Yes, even you live there today. Be faithful, minister that today, share it, invest it. Jesus gets the glory. We get the rewards. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you address every one of us this morning. I thank you that the gospel is able to save every person here and save us to the uttermost. Not simply the salvation that comes in justification but but Lord, being justified, now being made new creatures and adopted as the children of God and more and more learning to love him and follow him. God in heaven, if there are any here today who are rejecting, just maybe they're in church, but their heart is, is bowing down at their idols today. Help them to see their great danger. The king is coming back. And he will bring vengeance to those who have not bowed to him. For Lord, the the false servants who can recite the doctrines, but in their heart love a thousand things more than Jesus and find the Christian life to be a dreary a something, a hard legal thing. Lord God, please help them to see that the gospel is so much more beautiful than they ever imagined. And Lord, for those who are faithful but struggling, maybe despairing because we feel like we do so little, oh, God, encourage us. You've put us in our very time and our very place. You've given us this beautiful gospel gift, and you call us now to, to be faithful, to believe it, to rest in it, to delight in it, to share it. So, Jesus, please, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help each one of us in these things. And all the glory and all the praise goes to our King. Amen.